Welcome to Decoding Digital, Intevity's Guide to Effective Digital Transformation. Sharing lessons learned and actionable tips and tools from the field and across industries. Intevity, accelerating business digitally. So today I'm here with John Kirkman. Kirkman has worked in small businesses, medium, large. He's, he's worked uh, driving strategy, operations, supply chain, logistics at Deloitte, at Nike Global, at uh, startup. So he's got a great broad and diverse set of experiences, kind of been there, done that over the last over 20 years now. At this yeah, point. don't say that out loud, please. <laughs> he's an old man like myself at this point. Uh, and so today we're going to talk uh, enduring change. So we've with the pandemic, we've all been forced to change things. What's going to stick? What's going to change? And 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 uh, how are we going to rethink versus shift? Figured a good place to start this conversation of enduring change is just around teams. How do you grow the teams? Uh, how do you attract talent, retain it? How do we look at leadership in this this new world? And and uh, what do organizations need to do to to grow that next set of leaders? Yeah, it's a, you know it's a, it's a good question. I think we've talked about this a lot, George. You know, it's. Um... You know, we're seeing a lot now. HBR just had an article where uh, you know Microsoft, the State Bank of India, uh, Twitter, and others have started to say work from home or work from anywhere is now going to be the new norm uh, for their organizations and others. And I think they start to set the standard. I mean, just just recently, REI just built just finished building their um, huge facility up in Washington. Uh, just sold that entire thing and said, "Hey, everyone's going to work from anywhere." So I think this opens up an interesting opportunity for us as kind of a workforce development tool, as well as kind of just in general, uh, how we're and where we're going as, as organizations develop. I, I think what with the work from anywhere kind of advent, you know, historically we've kind of looked at each coast as kind of the nexus of, if I want to get in finance, I need to be in New York. If I want to get in tech, I need to be in San Fran. If I want to, you know, you kind of throw those out there. And, and I think with this work from anywhere philosophy or kind of approach, it starts to erode a lot of that those paradigms of like where population is, where people need to go, living expenses, where talent is located, and how you recruit that talent, all become kind of questions of like how do we, how do we have this dispersed work environment and kind of dispersed population while cohesive uh, ideas and, and kind of collaboration may persist over over the internet uh, and kind of remotely. So, and, and George, I think you and your organization have done a wonderful job of this, uh, and and there's probably a lot of lessons that you can share with a lot of folks on that as well. Yeah, made plenty of mistakes too. Yeah, I mean, we've been virtual for 17 years or so. And, and I think what, what I've learned is it's the same stuff. You just have to be better. You have to be better about accountability. You have to be better about forcing communication and transparency. And, um, you know, we, we always viewed it as a strength that we could kind of find the, the talent wherever it happens to live. We weren't bound by any, any specific city. But man, you know, people would always ask us prior to the pandemic, what's it like managing a virtual culture? And it's like I said, it's the same stuff. We would work for so many clients who walk in there. They've got the cool, expensive office, all the, the yeah. neat furniture, but everyone still is just sitting there with their headphones on, slacking each other. And you just want to slap them upside the head and say, get in front of a whiteboard, you silly goose. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny you say that too, because, you know, Nike has a huge campus out here and, uh, you know, they even expanded it. Um, to, to be more, it's when I say campus, truly, if you've never had an opportunity to be out there, folks, it's, it's truly like a college campus. So it's kind of laid out. I think the, the track around it or kind of the, the, the trail around it is almost five miles long. And George, to your point, it's like, oftentimes the people were just stuck with the headphones on in their cubicle, kind of doing their thing and never really taking advantage of that anyhow. Um, so there's, there's organizations that have it, don't use it. There's organizations that have it, that did use it. Uh, and now with COVID, it's like, well, what is the point? What is, what does that asset then become? And a lot of organizations are pondering, like, what do we do with with the new norm? Like, so as we're talking about now, 
uh, my wife works for a tech company and, and the advent of work from anywhere is kind of persisting in her organization as well. It's like, we've got people that need to manufacture stuff, right? So we've got people that definitively need to be in the office. And the way that they're kind of looking at it is, is there's probably a hybrid section and then there's a, kind of the remote section. And, and you know, I would you know, postulate that, that there's only two categories. There's the people that need to have the manufacturing hands-on kind of thing. Uh, and then there's the others that do or do not need to be there. It, it's up to them. And then the facilities become this kind of flexible space that's more kind of open to collaboration, more open to uh, how do we connect and how do we have the whiteboards instead of just the cubicles. And, and frankly, there's also the, the, the folks that just want to be in the office to get away because the work from home balance is just tough. But there, there are the, 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 the kind of the flip of the facilities in terms of how they deal with it, let alone where the, where the talent is located. Yeah, um, funny timing. The the CEO of LogMeIn, uh, Bill Wagner, who um, you know LogMeIn's been one of our clients. He just posted an article this morning that was a framework for how they're they're rethinking the workforce. And what I loved about it is uh, it, it's not even just looking at it as two categories. It's 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 using the same concept of personas and journeys, the same right. things that we would use to design software and design products to say what personas exist within our organization. Because someone who's running essentially running elementary school in their living room versus someone who's 22 living with a bunch of roommates. It's, it, they're very different personas and they need different things. And uh, yeah. I love it because it's it's forcing us to think about what do people actually need rather than just forcing one way of working on everyone. Yeah, and I was actually talking with a friend just kind of on that, just instead of forcing something on someone, we were talking about um, there are the people that need the, they're gregarious, they're kind of outgoing. They need kind of the social environment to be able to work and perform uh, to their to their abilities. And so there's even folks like that. And, and, and to your point, George, it's almost like they then would choose a vocation that serves their need as opposed to trying to fit their need in their vocation. Um, and, and I love that idea of like, it's designed around a human as opposed to let's put this human into this condition. Um, and again, I think this, the, the pandemic and kind of where things are gonna persist is gonna exacerbate uh, just that whole kind of talent structure of how we think about folks and where they call their home. Yeah, and being more purposeful about it. Because even though we were, we've been a virtual company forever, we would be very purposeful about, hey, we're going to go do a workshop. We're going to get everyone in, in front of a whiteboard and we're going to do some arts and crafts kind of workshoppy stuff. Or, hey, we need to go interview some folks. We're going to do that in person because that's just so critical to, to building those relationships and, and discovering information. So it's really just, be, I think companies are going to have to be much more purposeful in, yeah. in how they're engaging their talent. And I love that word too, because you know, purposeful implies intent. It implies that we're here for a reason. It's not just a, it's not the coffee chat, right? It's not just kind of catching up over coffee and saying, "Hey, we're going to go do this," or kind of, "I'm doing this this weekend." It's, it's purposeful in the intent of the meeting. Uh, and again, I've seen this in organizations in the past, and kind of continue to see it in, in this pandemic, where organizations would typically just have meetings to have meetings. Like we just have a cadence where we meet every month, and we don't necessarily have an agenda topic or kind of a, a thing that we need to talk about, but we need to meet. Um, and I think. You know, kind of my, my adage uh, to, to my teams in the past and kind of, you know, as, as I've grown as a leader, have been very much I measure output, not input. So, you know, if it takes you 20 hours out of a 40-hour work week to go do this, great. You're, you're awesome. Uh, great. If you want more, we've got more. But, uh, you know, let's talk about if it takes you 60, 70, 80, 90 hours because uh, there's probably someone else, something else there. And I think what, what's happening with, I bring up that point to say that um, in the COVID-19 era, people are calling meetings just to call meetings and say, hey, look, I'm working. Look, I'm, I'm relevant. I'm valid. Uh, and that's what I see uh, for myself and for my wife and some of, the, some of the other folks I talk to is just this persistent behavior of, uh, of wait, I need to have a meeting just to have a meeting. Um, and I think what we're going to see is, is kind of everyone kind of, as humans, we always schedule to, to the 30 minutes or to the hour. We never kind of think about the, 
the 13 minute meeting or the seven minute meeting or the quick check-in is tr truly just quick two minute meeting or something like that. Uh, and I think I think we're gonna rethink how how meetings occur and what the purpose, you know, kind of what the direction and purpose of a meeting is, uh, where it's no longer gonna be a shotgun approach of like invite everyone that might have a decision right on this. It's gonna be much more focused on who are the key drivers of the decision and, and let's make sure those people are identified and they understand to your word, uh, George, purpose. What is the purpose that they're there? What is the intent of the meeting to, to resolve? Man, I hope we get on the other side of that that soon. I, I don't think we've all learned the, the, the right mix. I, I've definitely seen just this um, surge of, uh, of meetings and um, unnecessarily, and there's nothing that enrages me more than just doing something because you're supposed, if you feel that you're supposed to do it. As I was thinking about this topic, I recently heard a framework about how someone else um, organizes their thoughts around a topic. They, they organize it by what do they uh, hate, what do they fear, and what do they love about the topic. But yeah. this might be unhealthy, but I've started to, to think what I think about topics, think about where my deepest rage is about it. I don't know if that's a good thing to do, but when I think about this topic and what rages me the most is that like, just doing something because you're supposed to do it or that you've done it. And I was thinking back to the source of where that rage is, is even just our humans and the way our education system is. Like it, you, you're bringing kids into a classroom and you're teaching them one way, expecting them all to kind of learn the same exact way. Well, it's, you know, with, with 11 and 13 year old in my household, um, you, you bring up a great point in that it's not just teaching them in their way. It's, you know, the, the kids now have limited exposure to teachers, limited time to ask questions, limited time to kind of do the work. So then it, it's become incumbent upon parents to then teach the way that the teacher is teaching when we may not have learned the same thing. And I think that's, you know, that's probably a good kind of tidbit of, of our organizations is we got to expect as managers and as leaders, that's not just, hey, here's the content, go do it. It's helping people along and kind of saying, this is how we're going to do it. This is why we're going to do it. This is the intent of what we're going to go do. Uh, because I can tell you some of the, you talk about rage, it's the, the, you know, oftentimes we thought about just pull the kids out and just homeschool them because then we can govern our topic, then we can govern our way of learning, our kids' way of learning, kind of adapt as needed versus this, what feels like a very, well, here it is, just go teach it, guys, or we've already taught the lessons, your kids should, should understand it. And I think that's something that's going to, you know, I, I think it's going to be pervasive throughout their entire lives. I think this pandemic is truly going to change how the generations of the future really interact with each other, how they really kind of learn from each other and kind of have that moment of, of clarity of like, this is a, a structure or rubric by which I can learn, but there's others as, um, and I need to self-discover some of that. Yeah, totally. And I think at the root there is it's, it's hard to rethink, you know, whether it's in education or within business, it's just hard to rethink. And then like, if you dig into that topic, why is that? Um, I, you know, I think there's no lack of ideas. So is yeah. it just, is it just, is it hard to operationalize those ideas? Is that why people shift rather than rethink? It's a good question, right? So, I mean, just having worked in small, medium, large organizations, I can I can attest to, you know, the kind of the old adage of like, small motivated teams can get a lot done, even on a limited budget, right? You know, there's a few projects I've worked on where it's like our budget kept getting cut and cut and cut. That didn't change our scope. And at the end of the day, what we thought about was more along the lines of, if we had this much money as a small startup, we'd be thrilled. We'd be absolutely thrilled. And so what prevents us from treating this like a small startup and creating that team and saying, you're now the CTO, you're now the CFO, you're now the COO and saying, we've got this company. And we, by the way, we've got a whole constituency of users that are going to have this at the end or, or kind of personas that are going to have this. 
Um, and I, that, I think that starts to change the paradigm a little bit of like how people interact with each other and how you get out, out of the way of organizational norms. You know, I, I joked that large, large organizations is typically, there's a thick book of like how things have been done. And they lay it down and say, this is how we've done things for the last 20 years. And look at our stock prices keep going up, keep doing this. And then stock prices will keep going up. And I think, I think that the sharp point on, on the pandemic is total disruption of, of what we thought the retail space would be, what the digital transformation would be, what, what all these things um, would be. And I think, I think to your point, it's like, how do we get out of our own way of what used to be or kind of what is what feels comfortable and start to embrace the new norm and, and kind of disrupt uh, our own thinking in some spaces? Yeah. And, and it's funny, like that really drives my rage. But at the same time, I've fallen victim to the same exact thing. Like you and I have both been at like very, very large companies and then very small. And after doing a stint at, at, at a large company, I've, I've gone back to a small company and it's almost like, oh, I forgot that this doesn't have to take five months to do. <laughs> like people can actually get this done in two weeks. Like you, you, you almost completely forget it, um, that what, what velocity can be. Yeah, and you had a post recently, George, that talked about kind of maybe some rage topics of your own, but like the, the, <laughs> the advent of like siloed, uh, job functions. And I think as an organization gets bigger, the more siloed the job functions become because of a lot of reasons. I mean, the HR, because of talent, because of just different functions within the organization need to be more, more have, a, have a greater kind of structure about how they get things done. But I think this, this topic alone is like the disruption becomes no longer being siloed and saying, okay, well, if we all had to do it ourselves, if, if, if we were accountable to the outcome, no matter what, what would we do and how would we do it differently? And I think you, you, the testimony of like large versus small organizations or small organizations, the, the rage might be, I wear so many hats, I don't know which hat to wear today. Um, mm -hmm. If you have a prioritization matrix by which you say, well, these are the things that I have to do, these are the things I wanna do, and these are the things that just are administrative or whatever that need to get done. Um, it's a little bit more rigor to kind of help, help you through that process. But uh, I think a lot of people through this pandemic are starting to realize, I never had that before because I was told this is what we need to do today. So it's uh, even at you know senior leadership levels, uh, I think I think it's it's really kind of shining a light on on some key gaps. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what this rethinking location means to silos because I've definitely been at places where you know if you're on the third floor, the people on the fourth floor are dead to you, right? <laughs> and once someone yeah, totally. moves to a different floor, you're like, all right, buddy, it was it was good knowing you. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 at the same time, you know, we've run scrum teams that you have some of the team is in London, some of the teams in India, some of the teams in the yeah. States and and they're meshing and they're really working together as, as a team. And I, I wonder, like, how does location and physical versus virtual play into that breaking down silos thing? So one, one thing I, I want to kind of touch on, because I want to touch on exactly what you said, they're kind of the dispersed environment, kind of especially scrum teams. There's a great book called The Idea Factory that's uh, about Bell Labs. If you haven't had a chance to read it, it's awesome. Uh, so Bell Labs just basically, so Bell had all of the, the telephone wires and kind of just made a lot of money. And they created a whole separate thing that was just around innovation, pure innovation. And, and what they would do is they would put, um, you know, these, these professors and doctorates, uh, people that were literally writing the book on um, transistors and others just on opposite sides of the building. And one rule of Bell Labs is you can never refuse to answer a question. So if a colleague asks you a question, you have to answer. Like you have to spend the time. You can't just say, I'm busy right now. You've got to spend the time to answer the question. This is before, I guess, uh, meetings where I've got to run to a meeting, right? So that's that's mm -hmm. kind of the, the ethos that we have today. But but the whole purpose was collaboration. I need to walk from one side of the building to go to the other and physically kind of get there. And if I'm asked a question along the way, that might provoke me to think a different way. 
I mean, just all these kind of avenues of innovation around just the, how the idea forms. And I wonder, kind of going back to what you said in terms of the Spurs Scrum team, how, how do you manage that? How do you manage the collaboration across a, an ecosystem that's virtual? And how do you kind of codify some of those ideas that come about? Like, how, how did so? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, there's there's some interesting techniques. I remember pre-pandemic, one of these um, distributed global Scrum teams we just would have an actual physical board in each one of their rooms. So, so they each had a dedicated scrum room. You know, there was one in London, one in India, one in um, Boston or wherever it was, I think New York. And uh, they each have their physical board that, that um, are just mirrors of each other. And every day or week we'd move our cards and our post-its through those. And that created a sense of a shared experience and a sense of a shared environment, even though it was on three different continents. Um, so that was interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think that probably also gets back to being purposeful about organizing your teams around an initiative. There's been so many times where I've made the mistake, um, you know, you look at your, your company as a whole and you're saying, we want to break down these silos. So we're going to do um, all these social events and get people to, to hang together. And there's these forced things and those are good, but they don't actually get the team to gel into working as a, as a, as a cross-functional group. It's not until you actually give them something to work on with clear measurable uh, steps that then they actually start to gel. So I, I think it's it's purposeful and it's and it's an actual thing with clear objectives. Yeah, I think, yeah, there, there's the avenue of like those social gatherings are more, you know, we as humans like to know who we're working with and know the, the people that we're next to. Uh, so I think there's, you know, that's that, that might be something that might get lost in the pandemic of like, how do we, connect in a personal way, not just about the work, right? So how do we make it so there's there's a, there's a way to emote at work um, such that it's not just a, a kind of benign process of like, I just need to get the work done. But I wanna go back to what you said in terms of the, the kind of physical moving of cards. It sounds like that requires a bit of talent maturity to kind of be able to do that, right? So you're not, it doesn't sound like a development in talent to be able to kind of go do that. It's like, well, they're already at a, a certain threshold of talent level, I guess. So what would you say, like, how, how do you get someone that's maybe junior than that into that process, again, remotely and collaboratively, such that they start to understand that, because I, I, I would assume that there's a certain threshold of like what they need to understand and what they need to be able to do to be able to kind of move those cards forward and have those boards and such. Um, so so how, do you, how do you think about the junior town to get into that, that echelon? That's a tough one. Uh, and this is, this is an area that I admittedly, I, I don't know if I have the right answers. Believe it or not, John, I, I can I can be wrong, and there's things I don't, I don't believe know. it at all, George. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if, for instance, us as as a company, since we've been virtual for so long, um, we we really don't hire junior talent because it is very difficult to to onboard them and to get them up to a certain speed uh, as a junior person. And I know even myself in my career, the way I I got started, I was like, you know, you're you're sitting side by side with people. Um, right. for, for weeks on end to really, um, you know, absorb everything you can. You're going to lunch with them to just absorb all those like tidbits about how to manage your own career and how to manage responsibility. Yeah. And it's, it's all those like manage little, comfort. yeah, it's like micro coaching sessions every single yeah. day. And right. I think that that's really, really tough in a virtual world. And uh, I, I think, um, yeah, we, we certainly haven't cracked that nut. I don't know if you have any ideas on, on what's going to work? Well, so having worked in, in kind of similar kind of global environments, um, I, I found it, again, very tough. I think this is where the elements of technology can start to help us to kind of collaborate, but it still just feels like, you know, from our generation, perhaps, George, it feels a little bit sterile uh, to kind of have those coaching moments and kind of have those virtual connections. 
but that said, you know, we went to school in person. We went to school. There was there was a snow day when we were kids. There, there's, the death <laughs> of the snow day is coming, right? So, um, oh. you know, I think I think we're the there's an entire generation coming up that's going to be kind of native to the virtual world and native to learning virtually and native to kind of understanding what peer relationships are. And it's how do we as the older folks in the room uh, start to really understand that, embrace that, and then develop that talent. I think that's going to be a huge hurdle uh, that organizations face as we go through this kind of pandemic response. Yeah. And one thing I get excited about for the, the younger talent pool is just the, especially compared to what we grew up with, is the the whole dynamic of what does leadership look like is so different. Like yeah. When we were getting started, there was still that carryover from the 80s, right? Where it's just like, command and conquer, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna demean everyone and Man I'm gonna breath. get my way. Yeah, and, and it was like a, people would would carry that that badge of being a jackass, almost like it was a, like a badge of honor. And right. what we're lucky about now is, is the idea of being a servant leader and being humble and building trust and the fact that as a leader you're you're here to help your team rather than the other way around i feel like it's it's fairly pervasive yeah. at this point so that's going to be a, a huge help I, I think historically like when you look at the generation before us it's it's i'm going to work at the same company for 20 years 40 years it's going to be just i'm loyal to the company uh, and there was a lot of benefits that there was the pensions there was all this other stuff right uh, and then with ours, it was like, well, I can hop around a little bit. And then the generation right after us is like, I am going to hop around. And I think where it's going is I'm going to pick my leader. I'm not going to necessarily pick my job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sit down where I think the leadership is the right, the right choice for me. And then going back to kind of like how people learn and how people want to engage, I think, I think we as leaders are being interviewed as much as we're interviewing the, the people that, that may want to work for us. And I think that shifts the paradigm a lot in terms of the talent pool. It's no longer, to your point, and it's no longer, I need to work for this jackass boss. It's, I don't want to work for that person. There's another opportunity over here. And, and, and particularly when you start to spread out the demographics of that all and how, how everyone kind of may live in a dispersed environment, no longer do I need to be in the epicenter of like New York and, and just eke by on, on an $80,000 paycheck, which sounds crazy. Um, I can live in Montana and, and have that $80,000 paycheck and live very well, right? So it starts to even just shift, not just what the boss I want to work for, but how I want to work, how I want to show up and where I want to be when I do show up. Yeah, and that just puts it on the leaders to be that much more to connect their their employees with the the mission and the value that they're delivering, uh, because that's going to be so much more important. You know, it's a leader, but it's also people. You know, they want to be connected to what it is that they're doing. They just don't want to be doing busy work. And yeah. uh, you know, I think that loyalty is you know tying this back to enduring change. Now with, you know, as, as organizations can leverage these talent pools really wherever they live, that loyalty is gonna be that much, that much more delicate. Um, you know, I think about, you know, these in some towns, you have one or two very large companies that they can kind of get away with what they get away with because, you know, you, you're not gonna work anywhere else unless you move. And, um, and that is, they're gonna, there's a magnifying glass is gonna be put on those organizations as far as how they, you know, manage and acquire talent. Yeah, and I think you know, there's there's terms that I think start to erode away. Like like Austin is the new Silicon Valley. Well, we don't need a Silicon Valley anymore. We can just be a dispersed environment. So the U.S. becomes the next Silicon Valley, or, or something along those lines. Where and again, this goes back to your org. I think you've unlocked the ability, unlocked the talent pool across a very dispersed environment, and and had a good balance of work life to stay. Going back to what I said earlier, it's like we, we measure input. Sorry, we measure output, not input. I just we just want to make sure that the, the little quality of work is done, uh, and it's done well, and on time. Yeah, Happy. measuring the output rather than the input is, is so critical, because using the example of of um, you know 
it's not just about leveraging the talent in the different places that they live, but leveraging the way that they want to be leveraged. I, I'd use the example of, you know, we've had folks that they lived in a ski house in Lake Tahoe and they worked for us. And if they wanted to go do some skiing in between meetings, um, they were some of the most productive people that, that you'd ever see, right? And, and right. some of that is an acknowledgement of you need thinking time. Back to your, your fact about like how many meetings we're having, you need some thinking time. And if your best way to do that is to go for a hike or to, to go for a ski or fold laundry, whatever it is, that could be some of the most valuable time to, to deliver those outputs that you are measuring. Yeah, yeah. And it's, again, as, as leadership, you know, we, we oftentimes have to carve out that time for ourselves. And I imagine as as we develop the next level of leaders, as, as junior talent, talent develops, how do we carve out that time? So it's not just, because you know, it kind of goes back to institutional norms of like, well, working from home is just not productive at all. I, I have a close near and dear friend and her philosophy was, I don't want my teams to work from home, even though the, the organization that she works for, you know, kind of gave every Friday off or Friday work, work from home. Uh, she was very, very worried about what that, how that might look and, and feel for her organization. And then the people are just, in her words, gonna take advantage of it, right? Um, then you kind of start to flash forward and like we're in this pandemic and we're all super productive and I think this helped change her paradigm uh, to say, wait, this, we can actually do this because I can do this as well. It's, it's, I'm, I'm actually closer, I'm more connected, which sounds weird to say is, is that she's now more connected to her team now in a virtual world than she was before. And I think going back to your word, purposeful is, is important then, right? So it, it becomes a no longer butts and seats, but quality of work. What I love about that story is, is that aha moment that it, people were basically forced into this aha moment. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and you and I, we, you know, we've been in consulting quite a bit. And, and a lot of the times it's just, it's, it's getting people to just realize what they already know, um, but just maybe in a slightly, you know, in better PowerPoint or just with, a, with an outside perspective. You know, I wonder if some of the enduring change will be like, now that people have seen, because it's tough, it's tough to take a big <coughs> leap if there's not enough motivation behind that, if there's a lot of yeah. fear, there's a lot of bias. Right. But now that everyone's been forced to take a big leap and they've seen positive on the other side, I wonder if you're going to see people and organizations embrace more risky um, experiments, you know, push into strategy in new and unique ways. Just, I hope that that's a lesson that people learn. So talk more, what do you mean by that? So talk a little bit more. Uh, so there's a lot of times where, um, you know, you might be working with a company, they're, they're, they're looking at various strategies that they can move forward on. But one of the strategies they might say, well, we don't want to break what we're currently doing. And if we do that, we might break what we're currently doing. Or, you know, they're just always thinking about all the obstacles that are in the way of executing that strategy. Whereas now that we've gone through this, this leap and, and come out on the other side and everyone seems to be, you know, for the most part, good and in some places better, do we start to get a muscle memory for taking those leaps and pushing into our strategies? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, don't, I don't know is the answer. I mean, there will always be organizational norms or institutional norms. And I think to your point about us being forced in this has started to, to shine a light on that. But I still think that there's just a, a natural tendency, especially as people get older, it's just a natural tendency to kind of clam up and say, well, I, that feels uncomfortable to me. And, and I think a lot of the, the exposure that we're getting now is is really kind of it's really about like trust and transparency in both ways, right? Do I trust that my team is doing the right thing? Am I transparent with what they need to be doing or, and are they transparent with me? Does my team trust me that I'm leading in the right way, that we're doing the right things? And how do you create that level of trust remotely and, and so that you can kind of experiment and try new things and try different avenues? I think the disruption of the workforce in terms of the environment is a little bit different, especially when you look at like, for instance, retail, 
disruption of retail is very different than how it is disrupting the workforce. A uh, very different paradigm of like how people are buying all this stuff. That's a, that's a topic for a different time. But I think if you start to ask organizations that are retail oriented, are you thinking about being vertically integrated or kind of embracing the digital forum or all those things? It's like, we, yeah, but still we've got these investments to make. So yeah, I think, I think going back to the kind of the, the workforce, it comes back to incumbency on, on trust and transparency. Um, to be able to kind of experiment in different ways. Like even, even you know, like tiger teams, right? So instead of saying, well, George, your, your function is this, you stay in this function, John, your function is this. It's like, all right, you two uh, cross-functional, go experiment on blah, whatever, whatever that blah thing is. Uh, and, and so now I trust that you guys are collaborating on the side and then you'll report back and kind of the quality of work is the measure of the output. So I hope it does persist in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think the foundation of that trust is, is both measuring the right things and having utmost clarity all the way through. I think if I think about enduring change, clarity is probably going to be that much more in, important. Um, everything from, hey, is everyone clear on what our mission is? Is everyone clear on what our vision is? Are you clear on what your group is being measured on? Are you clear as an individual what success means on the work that you're trying to accomplish? And, and then if you are truly measuring what the output is rather than the input, they're clear on it, you're measuring it, then however the heck that they, they wanna get that done and however they wanna collaborate to get that done, good on you, right? Adding to that, there's there's a great video on leadership uh, about a, a naval commander who um, jumps from a regular submarine to a nuclear powered submarine, which is clarity of purpose, clarity of success, clarity of outcomes and, and pushing and kind of being intentional about what you're doing. And, and I think correlated to that and kind of incumbent upon that is to push the trust and kind of decision rights farther down in the organization. No longer do I as leader need to make all the decisions. It becomes about how do we as a team make the right decisions? How can I trust that George three layers down from me is gonna be making the right decisions and the outcome is gonna be what we need? Well, I need to be clear about the intent. I need to be clear, clear about the, the clarity on purpose, clarity on success and clarity on the outcome that we as, an, not me, but we as an organization are trying to drive. And I think that starts to change what leadership looks like in the new future. You know, maybe that clarity in the measurement that maybe that is how you you help that younger tier of employees that are coming into the workplace. I mean, you know, how many times do you see just horrible onboarding plans, you know, horrible 30, 60, 90, someone's, they kind of get thrown into uh, an office. And, and again, you can get away with it because it's like, oh, look, there's all these other people sitting in this office. Yeah. I'm sure someone will help them. I'm right. sure they'll right. figure it out. Right. But if you're really purposeful and clear about this is what you're going to have to do to be successful here within the first, you know, three, three to six months. And that's really spelled out and be clear. Then I think you can embrace that younger employee virtual or not. Yeah. And it requires a different set of leadership skills to be able to go do that. Right. So, you know, especially in large institutions, historically, it's like, well, the person that's been there or tenure matters so much. Well, I think tenure starts to erode. It's like, again, as we think about what success looks like on measuring output and on input, Tenure is not relative anymore. You know, tenure is just, well, you've been here a long time. Uh, and I think there's an, there's an avenue for that to be, well, younger leaders may come up to the, through the ranks faster uh, because it's not just about how long they've been there. It's about the quality of ideas, their ability to lead a team virtually and drive an outcome that the organization is aligned to um, or that, that they're aligned with the organization. And I think that just, it kind of just shines a light on, we can no longer rely on what, what was in terms of leadership, in terms of organization, we have to have to embrace what it will be. And then that whole transition through that process is going to be important. Yeah, I could not agree more. What I love about also about this concept of, of viewing your workforce as personas 
is then you can also, you can apply the same things along those lines with product design and development. So it's not just personas and the journeys, but it's the service blueprinting. It's for every slice of your journey as an employee here, what do you touch within our organization? Because I also think about all the crappy internal systems that, you, that users have had to deal with. It's like, and right. you, you're walking the halls and you're cursing, you know, insert vendor XYZ here. And, and it's, it's, it's not really the vendor's fault necessarily. It's just, they've jammed this software into the organization without thinking about the employee experience. And then also thinking even deeper on that, that there's gonna be different employee experiences and different personas internally. Yeah, I, I think I was just writing down some, um, you know, the, the, some some terms that I've used in my past. Uh, a fool with a tool is still just a fool. So how do you teach the organization, right? It's not just about the technology. And technology is the easiest target because it never fights back. It's always the technology's fault. And I think where we are today with, with everyone working remotely, it's, to your point, it's like technology needs to be at the forefront of how we collaborate, how we get things done, how we make the changes happen. Do we need to be native in every single area of like, you know, the SAPs of the world have like, do we need to be everything SAP or is there evidence of like, how do we kind of think about the plug and play feature and functions better and, and do cloud enterprise technologies and kind of these niche little things start to really take shape and take hold. And how does that change the workforce, right? Mm -hmm. It comes back to that whole concept of, of shifting versus rethinking. I remember the early days of my career is when like the web was first hitting we spent so much time just recreating physical things in virtual. Like I remember like literally um, like a, a product catalog that you could flip the pages with a mouse, right? And it looked kind of cool, but it's like, that is the epitome of not rethinking something. You're just <laughs> right. taking a paper thing. And by the way, required a ton of effort and a ton of work to do that. And, yeah. um, and it's just silly. And, and the What's same thing, you know, people take their broken processes and they just jam it into software. And now yeah. they just, you know, or even if they do, if they have a fairly good process or, or a mediocre process, it's it's like, okay, well, you're only by jamming it into these systems, you're just going to get small incremental, you know, fixes and, and, and optimization. Whereas if you can truly rethink it, that seems to be the major challenge. There's, a, I think, another book called Where, where Good Ideas Come From, um, but um, it talks about like where innovation happens, what, what true innovation is. And a lot of people, to your point, say, hey, let's take this process and put it into technology and boom, we've innovated. Um, and it talks about like TV is, I think is a great example of innovation because, you know, the advent of like black and white television with three channels to, you know, Technochrome or whatever, Technicolor, and then it was color and there was HD and it's, that's not innovation along the cycle. That's just evolution. That's just, we're, we're becoming not step function change different, just changing a little thing along the way. And I think where, where true innovation and disruption happens is when you start to think about how YouTube has completely changed how we think about streaming services. You would not have the Netflix of the world. You would not have these things of the world without kind of the users really adopting to them this micro, I don't want to watch commercials. I want to watch this one clip and, and be done, or I want to watch this thing that's not necessarily on TV. It's just a user. So it's a different content delivery mechanism that was not thought through before, which has completely changed the paradigm or kind of innovated the paradigm of what television is. And now you see the apps like that are native now to technology like, like televisions and others. You know, it's kind of going back to your point. It's not just about how do I make this practice or process happen faster in technology because all they've done is make a bad process happen faster um, yeah. in many cases it's how do you really think through all right we've got this technology how do we embrace change not just to the, to the technology but also to the people and, and kind of functions that this for us and there's so many times like to your point about this is just evolution um you know you, you can you can almost visually like when people visually think about innovation they, they feel like it's it's above it's up 
right? It's up and to yeah. the right. And it's right. just, it's just, you're leveling. People even say, we want to leapfrog the competition, but like, what if innovation is really just about taking what you have and flipping it on its side and like, and yeah. slicing it this way slightly differently. So it doesn't always have to be this like leapfrog next generation thing. It's just about, you know, you love, you and I both love puzzles. It's just, sometimes you got to yeah. turn the puzzle a different way. Right. The other thing about moving up is it doesn't afford you an opportunity to go down, right? So if innovation is always going up, it doesn't afford you the opportunity. like, what happens if things fail? And so oftentimes organizations go through this massive business case process to say, okay, we expect in three years, it's going to be blah, 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 blah. And I think where we're going and kind of to your point about innovation, it's like, how do we fail fast, fail early and fail cheaply? So how do we kind of think about a microservice or kind of a micro thing, innovate on that? If it fails, there's still lessons learned, right? So it's really important as, as we embrace kind of the world and new environment, we also take advantage of, you know, again, going back to my kids, it's, it's, they're trying new technology platforms all the time. They've got to experiment on this. They've got to deliver new homework. You know, the whole advent of, of snow days is probably gone. So, so how, how do we, how do we take that, that workforce and kind of put them in a new environment? And I think this advent of like how innovation truly happens and affording our organizations and our people a point of failure saying, Hey, we're just trying something out. It's okay if it, if it doesn't work out. Cause I think it's, it's heralded that success breeds success, right? So if I'm successful in this project, that means I move up in my career. What do you want to have to be successful to learn and kind of be uh, disruptive in terms of how you're trying to innovate and kind of go forward? So again, I think that's a, a persistent behavior in the future. Yeah, I'd say some of my best learnings were just from a, a long string of horrific failures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree with that, George. <laughs> Uh, and, 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 but, but that, you know, you need room for that, that experimentation. And, and I think it probably brings it back to that, like measuring the outputs, giving people clarity, and then, and then really whittling down the prioritization so that you have that room to innovate and have that room to really think and test and, and fail and succeed. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think one, one topic that we still need to kind of unlock is that, that again, I think, I think we're just kind of sad to say a little bit old in the sense of talent maturity is where we think that innovation can happen and is how do we develop and kind of grow and mentor that talent, younger talent to get into that echelon of, of where, where perhaps we think, or maybe we need to adapt our minds to how they think in terms of how do we collaborate and, and innovate together. Uh, I think that's just a, it's just a huge red flag in the future of like, how do we solve that puzzle? Uh, because that's going to be a huge unlock for future talent going forward. Yeah, well, one thing I've been thinking a lot about um, with growing the next set of leaders is, is when, when you're in person, you have a meeting, some of the most valuable time is then walking back to your desk after that meeting and you're letting them know, here's what, here's what, you know, here's what you didn't see, here's what you could have done better, here's what you did great at, and, and um, you know, we started out this, this conversation talking about how many meetings are on people's calendars and, and that doesn't leave space for those conversations. And it's right. ironic because now I'm saying to get, have another meeting, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think I, I try to be as conscious as I can to um, maybe I'm slacking someone, you know, uh, kind, of, kind of some recap right after that meeting, or um, I'm finding time in the week to just kind of do a retro of those 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 little things because right. a lot of times th those like micro mentoring opportunities once a few days go by it almost feels like a silly thing to talk about this missed opportunity yeah yeah but you need to embrace it and, and I'll jot jot them down and um, you know a list of all my critiques and and failings <laughs> yeah and it's hard as as you kind of you know 
you and I are similar in terms of the mentorship approach, I think. And then, you know, when something happens, you want, whether bad, you want to have an immediate conversation. So it's like, hey, can we just chat real quick what went wrong in that meeting and give you some advice how to move forward and, and kind of give that direct feedback. And I think the challenge, you know, to your point of, of we don't have that space is that things start to pile up. And it's like, hey, George, can I grab some time with you? I've got seven different things I want to talk to you about, about where it messed up. And, and <laughs> so then it starts to feel like you're piling on. Um, so how so how do we create that space to be able to kind of have that meeting? And one idea I have is is around instead of the thirty minute meeting, have a twenty seven or twenty three minute meeting, right? And so any discussions that need to happen can happen in the next seven minutes or so. So we, you have that walk back to you know walk back time to think through what what happened, what occurred, and and kind of reach out to folks to say here's how we could be better as a team. That gets back a little bit to the purposeful thing is something that we're, we've also seen is um, trying to set up your weeks so that you have certain focuses. You know, so you have sometimes or period of time where it's it's not meetings or, um, you know, you want to have strategy meetings in the morning and, and, and making sure that you have those gaps in between them to, to have those hallway conversations. Yeah, the fireside chats, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so to summarize here, um, we, uh, you know, if we look at enduring change and the way that you manage teams, I think we've reinforced the fact that um, everyone's gonna need to be a heck of a lot better. They're gonna have to be purposeful, uh, really need to look at measuring the right things, that being the output rather than the input. And um, finding, I think this concept of micro mentoring and micro coaching, uh, acknowledging that that needs to happen and how is that whole area rethought um, as we're within this virtual world. Yeah, we, we didn't touch on kind of the time zone differences and all that different ways of working as well. But I think, you know, the nexus of that is just a dispersed workforce and how do you create the space for collaboration across those and, and again purposeful intention intention and all that stuff becomes important uh, but i think the the glaring thing that we we neglected to talk about is is what if we're on you know you're on the east coast i'm on the west coast very productive at, at 9 a.m my time noon your time but what happens when something needs to be done at 8 a.m your time how do we think about the the time zone difference there as well so that's that's something that again for another time but i think yeah i Trust and transparency, clarity on purpose, clarity on success, clarity on outcome, uh, and, and making sure that you're really spending the time to micro-mentor and, and, and find the time in, in between the spaces to, to do that so it doesn't feel like you're you're piling up. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that could be a teaser for another topic because I think the time zone thing really fits into a category that I call team norms. You need to really yeah. set up the right team norms. And so that could yeah. be our... Uh, stay tuned, folks, for uh, more from Don and George. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, I really appreciate the time. This is a great conversation. Yeah. Super fun, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Decoding Digital. For more tips and insights, please subscribe and visit us at Intevity.com. Intevity, accelerating business digitally.